Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap, a podcast featuring Bhavani Sylvia Maki, an international yoga teacher, musician, and author of the Yogi's Roadmap, the Patanjali Yoga Sutra as a Journey to Self-Realization. I'm Shanae Trudeau, a student of Bhavani and a teacher of yoga. These are conversations from the heart. The Yogi's Roadmap podcast explores yoga as a journey of compressed evolution off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. Bhavani believes that engaging in the full science and art of yoga uplifts us, deepens our connection with authentic self and to the source of joy within for personal growth and deep transformation. Bhavani Sylvia Maki has been studying the art and science of yoga for nearly 40 years. In her teaching, she interweaves the insights she has gathered into a holistic exploration of the microcosmic and macrocosmic self. Dedicated to exploring yoga in its complete expression, her teachings are steeped in the traditions of Patanjali's classical eight-limbed yoga, with an emphasis on integrity of alignment and the use of yoga as a powerful tool for healing. This project was conceived out of the desire to have more, deeper, intimate conversations with my teacher and a request from one of Bhavani's own teachers, Rama Joyti Vernon, who once said to her, let's get you out of the jungle and into the world. Bhavani lives on the island of Kauai, Hawaii with her husband, Ray, and their son, Nico. Welcome to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast, off the beaten path toward breakthrough experiences. <laughs> yeah, okay, we got it. <laughs> Hi, this is Shanae Trudeau and Bhavani Maki back for another episode of the Yogi's Roadmap podcast. If you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review on iTunes or the podcast application of your choice. Positive reviews mean so much to podcasters. We recognize that you have the power of where you want to place your attention. And we're so grateful you chose to be here with us today. Out of so many options for things to listen to and ways to spend your time, we deeply thank you for being here and listening to the Yogi's Roadmap podcast. Bhavani, what a joy and honor and a privilege and such a special time to be here with you today. Thanks, Shanae. Um, and I really appreciate you <clears throat> asking our greater community for you know, a little reciprocity and a little feedback. I mean, I'm so nourished with just sitting with you, but it's nice to know like how this is landing for people. And uh, yeah, I'm curious about that. Yeah, same. And it's always so wonderful when someone tells me, oh, I listened to your podcast and and really enjoyed it. You know, it, I I am so deeply touched. So me too. Here we are continuing on. <laughs> So I have a question about the teachings of yoga and social issues. So the question goes something like this. What's the place or the capacity of these wisdom teachings of yoga, both the practice and the principles to address or touch upon social, cultural, current issues? So something like human rights or approaches to peace or racial issues. And these timeless truths 
in addressing a time, place-based specific topics. Well, you're right on point here. And also timing is everything. Um, you know, the sutra we just explored yesterday in the Yoga Sutra Mentorship 222. And it speaks about the difference between being awake and being someone who's asleep. And we can think of being asleep as like all these layers, these shrouds of um, <clears throat> confused priorities, not really knowing what we can expect from the world, what we can offer the world and what we're doing here. And by, you know, sifting through this stuff, you know, we're doing it somatically. So much is based on our like super, super imposing our agenda onto others that um, we lose touch with their needs and we're out of touch with our deeper needs and that we're not just investing in what's attainable in the world, but the sense of felicity, the sense of camaraderie and being attuned to other people's changing needs. So on a very practical level, that's how yoga is helping us to, you know, see where we have maybe overreaching ideals or even underreaching ideals um, to see where we've disconnected ourselves in this hyper ambitious culture. So certainly, yeah, and then it was such a poignant um, insight in that sutra. I think it was Venkatesh Ananda who says, you know, how do we get, how do we break off contact with pain, particularly unnecessary pain? And he says, you have to keep it close. You have to keep it close, but not so that it completely consumes you where you're living in your pain body, but understanding that like people are struggling and the simplest, um, you know, awareness and recognition of that, instead of so much being focused on like personal individuation, we, we recognize that, yeah, I'm here to individuate, but as I transform my um, narcissism and the story we spoke about was about um, Kori before she became Persephone. She's the daughter. She's innocent. She's naive. She's there with her mother, Dimitria, who is spreading, you know, the, the bounty and the shimmering beauty of nature, um, that she's sitting there completely intoxicated with this narcissist flower. And up from the earth, the earth just cracks open and swallows her. And there's Hades with a herd of pigs. And she, you know, it's like sometimes the bottom falls out for us. Certainly the bottoms fall out for many people, entire communities, entire, um, you know, demographics of women or children or you know, whether it's race or creed or color, it's it's so apparent in the world. And, you know, the imagery there of the narcissist flower, <clears throat> it's the same root as nekra, which in Greek means dead, and it means stiff. So we learn to respond, we learn to expand 
our sense of self to include others. And if there's like the worst thing in the world would be to be callous or to feel alone and to feel isolated. So we're going to be tuning into others. And, you know, I remember hearing this podcast, I can't remember who it was. And it was saying like, if you don't know how to help, find some movement that really breaks your heart and invest some way, invest somehow in that, you know, it it, it could just be a, a small gesture or it might be become your life's work like it did my teacher Ramajati. Um, on another level, attuning to others in our environment, um, sensing their changing needs. Now, of course, that's like a, a slippery slope for those of us who are supra normal enablers. I'm a recovering one where it's like, if everybody's okay, I'm okay. And part of that is why I'm, you know, was kind of built for teaching yoga is my ability to um, monitor and tune into other people. But at the same time, it's, it's really about, um, you know, compassion for others, but compassion with detachment, right? Compassion is love with detachment. And that's the Dalai Lama's um, definition of that. So without, you know, losing our sense of capacity, our sense of wholeness, our ability to help. I mean, none of us are the savior. That, that creates a Messiah concept. But that we can help one another. And that's where, you know, yoga on the inside is about doing that inner work. And it's, it's like, it's not easy. It's not easy to figure out what your purpose is because needs are changing. Your needs and the world is changing. But by developing that capacity to sit with ourselves, what am I running towards? What am I running away from? To put a face on it, to put a name on it, and to really sit with those feelings, then we develop the nervous system, the the ventral nerve of the polyvagal system, which is where we're pack animals, and we can work together. So it it very much, you know, and and when I've referred many times to the Gita, um, in the Gita, Krishna tells us to be proactive, like go up, go out there and fight. In the Yoga Sutra, it speaks of ahimsa as being the first um, element of how we show up in the world, that it's our natural condition to be concerned for the welfare of others. I mean, it's all for one and one for all. When we isolate is when things become dead. Um, Even, you know, if we have um, gems in our life, whether it's material assets or insights of yoga. And sometimes, and many times the insights don't actually have to be communicated. They're communicated non-verbally. If we don't become part of the greater reciprocity, it becomes poison in our system. So really the heart of yoga is about the evolution of culture as a whole. Now, when we look at how culture has evolved, it's always been preceded by some type of luminary, somebody who kind of pushed the edge, the envelope of what others had been blind to or numb to. 
And so in yoga, you know, even like as much as we may try to, um, and we, it's, it's appropriate to learn the technology, then there's that sense of, um, when we go out of, we go into a place of lawlessness, we go into a place of spontaneity, we allow the seeds of creativity to shake within us, to push forth and to move in a way that is um, unpremeditated, unlogical, in which we allow that loving nature to shine. And we want to create this, you know, intense beauty in the world. We want to be part of it and we want to, we want to behold it together. So sometimes even being, um, you know, proactive means saying nothing, but really allowing those who don't have a voice to be heard. In Ahimsa, it speaks particularly about protecting, and we can think of protecting as um, as harboring or holding space for those who don't have a voice, for those who can't even speak, the innocents. Maybe they're small children. They don't have the capacity to navigate the complexities. They have the raw stuff of their feeling, and you can see where it's eating them from the inside out. I, I really noticed this with my child when um, Nico was in, in first grade and he was being bullied by an older kid and he wouldn't even speak about it. When I picked him up from school, this, this child who was normally so felicitous and loving and spontaneous, he was completely contracted and angry and it took a long time to get it out of him but this kid was threatening him. And from Nico's perspective, it was because Nico was doing something wrong. And I really, it was such a stark, like a razor blade moment for me, you know, reflecting on my own growing up and, and the abuses that I suffered. Um, that's what innocence do. It's like, well, here's this person who's a God who's older than me, who has more experience. Uh, there must be something wrong with me that I'm not deserving of their respect. So it's our duty. It's our primary duty as yogis to be able to listen to that transmission for those who don't have a voice. Maybe it's animals, maybe it's nature, um, maybe it's it's littles or children, but to be able to tune into them and that that expression might be nonverbal. When we really listen and tune in, we're going to be moved. And then it's and then how we're moved, I mean, there's there's so many ways to be moved, but I, you know, we we often underestimate that power of holding space for another. And then ahimsa also means that we're willing to get out of the comfort zone of worrying that we're going to be offending someone or touching a sticky topic, or, you know, we may even um, ruffle some feathers, et cetera. And then we may have a, a sense of loss of status or appreciation. You know, there's this kind of, um, trend where you're thinking, you know, where people seem to see, interpret that being a yogi means being neutral, 
and in a place of equilibrium. But Krishna says, go out there and advocate. Yoga is life affirming, not just on an individual level, but also for others. So it, it feels really natural. I mean, there's so many ways that we can, you know, create shimmering beauty in the world in the simplest of ways through eye contact, through opening the door. Certainly, um, you know, I would encourage us all to have conversations with people in passing that we don't normally um, fraternize with in our social circles, but to kind of open up our bandwidth so we can connect with one another. It's so lovely what you're saying. And it seems to me like it's almost, um, and I've heard it said in the, in the Tao Te Ching that the way to change the world is to work on self and work with our families. And that's the way the world changes. But it's, it's almost like when I can take on these teachings and really study them and practice them, it's like, it's almost like I have no, um, there's no space not to then <laughs> engage with the world. And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I become an ascetic later in life, but it's like, you know, the, my path as a, as a householder and um, as a person who works in the world, it's like the invitation is to really take these on. And from my own practice of them, it, it, it's like, that's how then I engage with the world. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm glad that you mentioned you went beyond just working on the inside because some people get stuck there. Well, the best thing I can do for others is work on myself. Yes, that's true to a point. But again, we can get lost in the narcissism of that. And yes, our needs are changing, but on a deeper soul level, there's essential needs where we all want to feel recognized and respected and appreciated for our individuality. You know, in that way, we're all the same. So we need to do on the work on the inside. Some people fixate on just doing the work on the outside and maybe are donating to 10 different, um, you know, services or, or organizations without really doing it on the inside. I mean, it, it, it's got to be on the inside. We're, we're working with our own systems. We're, we're monitoring our own state. We're asking the deeper questions without trying to find a finite answer, because as soon as we do that, we cut off possibilities, right? And on the outside, it's about caring for one another in the simplest of ways, simply by validating another. You don't have to fix it. You don't have to have an answer. But just, um, you know, I, I just watched the new Avatar. And I remember when I saw the last one, too, it, was, it just touched me so deeply, the way that they greet each other, as they look deeply into each other, and they say, I see you. You know, I see you. Or as Martine Prechtel says, you know, in the Mayan communities, they say, I'm happy to see your face. I'm happy to see your mouth. It's like, oh, I'm happy to feel into your heart. Mm. And that can give somebody <clears throat> enough validation where there's a whole cascade that occurs afterwards. 
But if we're confused about it, it's like, you know, just getting out of our own little private universe and stepping into the world. There's so pick up a piece of garbage, open a, a door for somebody, you know, do some like quote unquote random act of kindness and we we can show up for each other. I'm so glad you said that because I've often I mean it's 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 that edge of like yeah you know I have to I have to manage my own energy over here and you know work work with my mind <laughs> and you know and at the same time it can get very sometimes implosive right and so that's you know just the invitation it's like to make eye contact to hold the door to you know pick up a piece of trash and to give to you know give those um, those kind of subgroups like nature or children or the very elderly, a voice that is so powerful. It is, you know, and <clears throat> even the simplest thing of like offering somebody acknowledgement, like, wow, that hat looks so good on you. I love you in that hat, you know, somebody you don't even know, but like something like that can just really lift somebody up. So, you know, yoga is a byasa, the practice of checking the downward pole. How can we lift each other up? And when, especially when we lift the bottom up, everybody's lifted up. And you often say that yoga is relationship and that's where it shows up. And for me, I mean, when, when I, when I first heard you say that, I was like, yes, you know, yes to that. I don't exactly know what that means or how to do it specifically, but there's something in, in the way I am. Yes. With myself, but also, you know, with my intimates, with my husband, with my family, and then with perfect strangers. That's it. You know, um, I don't know if this is tangential, but something that came to heart is, you know, we have these pristine, glossy ideas of what yoga means, but yoga means is that you don't always have to feel good about yourself. And Patanjali, he reiterates this many times, like these are things we should struggle with. These are things that are pulling on us. And sometimes it feels so big that we might feel um, immobilized. But then to really just be like, wow, I am feeling and that that that's powerful. And then to let go again of like how I'm going to do this, the construct, what am I going to choose? It's going to find us, you know, um, when and so what Satchitananda gave in his translation of Sutra 222 was when you stop chasing after the world, the world chases after you. And that's where it's like, okay, I need some help. And that becomes, that, that's something my mother instilled in me really young, which I'm very grateful for, was as a guest, the first words out of our mouth, we were trained was to say, how can I help? And that's pretty, pretty, um, you know, that's where we, that's where we reveal our magnanimous nature. And then for those of us who are being asked that to allow the other person to help, even if we don't necessarily need it, 
there's it's that sense of reciprocity you know we're 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 really a, a bigger tribe of beings we truly are connected and in opening ourselves in that way and showing up for each other um you know then we we can we can lean into that collective felicity what's coming up for me is when i often hear you say you know the and we've spoken about it in previous uh, podcasts is like this element of courtship and going along with this element of of seva of service you know in a way that's that's benefiting more than just me you know so it's not self-serving but really asking I love that like how can I help what can I do and then you know uh what's the word and and rolling that person you know if we're on the receiving end of like how can I help asking something of me of them you know, yesterday, um, my son Nico is doing a two-day camp out, which is really lovely. And the teacher is, um, you know, she's Kamaina. She grew up here many generations. And she said, um, you know, that in the Hawaiian tradition, the first day that you spend with somebody, you're a guest. And after that, you become part of taking care of that place and taking care of others. And that that spoke to me in a really deep and beautiful way, you know, that we're not just like, there's that's that sense of our indigenous soul and spirit where we're collaborating together and we make the efforts for one another. And we get so much from that in return rather than it being some kind of a, um, you know, a registrar of I did this and now they owe me or whatever. Remember that um, Hafiz poem, which says, look at the way the sun shines at the moon. And the sun never says you owe me. A light like that can, can light up the whole universe. So it's really, um, you know, paying attention, being aware you know, how, how we enter a space, how we can um, affirm and validate. And, and it's like our, our, our glowing reflection is what really illuminates a space for one another. So we're talking on really basic terms, you know, on a, on, if, if people are feeling motivated, you know, especially if you're obsessing, which is the nature of the mind, right? Is we're obsessing over our own <clears throat> stuff and definitely family. You know, you might not actually be able to work it out with family. Sometimes working it out is being like, okay, I respect you have different needs than I do, you know, and you hold space for that. Like, that's all right. Um, but, you know, that we can, I forgot where I was going with this, but you said you oh, we yeah, were yeah 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 now I remember that like there's always somebody who needs something you know what I mean we can step out of ourselves so seva and service has always been a huge part I mean all of yoga it's like okay now I'm liberated whatever that means okay we know that's <laughs> like yeah wait five <laughs> minutes okay or whatever it is but really what liberation means is that you're free to function. 
you're free to function. You you can go where you're needed. Um, you understand that, like, but that even that sense of like being able to uplift someone else, that's what brings you more lasting joy. So we can step out of ourselves and and seva is such an integral part even like when we look at the initiatory process um you know the 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 person who's being initiated is in service to the heart stream to the one who's channeling the heart stream who at one point was in service and in some ways they're being lifted up but they're being lifted up to you know, this is this is an incorrect interpretation, but they're being lifted up to the role of servant, right? And even someone, you know, Yogananda, you know, he's like, like, I'm in constant service. There's this huge community. And, you know, even though I'm at the head of it, I'm holding space for all these others. That's why guru is like heavy because they're caring carrying and caring for others and we realize that like it's not just about me but I am nourished as being a part of this reciprocity and it's a great privilege it's an honor and it's a duty to um you know just not be dead and self-absorbed in my narcissism Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> now go vacuum your husband's truck. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's just, um, yeah, it's really, it's affirming again. It's like it doesn't have to get so complicated. It doesn't have to be, you know, a, a, a high, holy thing. It doesn't have to even look that great or that sexy, you know, and it's just, it's like any amount that I can, yeah, I, I have, I have to manage my own energy first in order to then be able to walk into a space, you know, and kind of get the lay of the land. And my teacher used to say, you know, do what's needed and wanted. And it required a lot of self energy to do that because if I'm just, you know, trying to manage myself, how can I do what's needed and wanted? But that's a really, you know, it's a lot of energy is generated from even paying attention and coming outside of myself a little bit. Yeah, I agree. So I'm wondering about, you know, the, the changes, <laughs> um, I heard Angeles Arian, she was saying that two things are guaranteed in life. She says change and death. Those are the only two things. And so in my short lifetime, I'm, I'm 35, I've seen yoga asana go from, you know, people's basements and living rooms to like the big business, you know, glossy pages, yoga journal, like all of that. And then now it's it seems like the trend is that classes are going back more underground they're going to people's home spaces they're becoming less flashy i'm sure there is that also but what are your thoughts on both the current and future 
trajectory of this discipline and like, where's that, where's that going? Yeah. Am I supposed to know where it's going? I don't (laughs) know. And that's where I'm freed up and realizing that yoga has a life of its own. It's not an idea. It's going to show up in many different ways. I mean, wonderfully it's shown up. I know in, um, my son's first grade class, the teacher loved yoga and she would have them do mindfulness exercises and sit and breathe. And so we can see that as it's part of the mainstream. I I also used to, you know, like kind of my eyes would open wide and my jaw um, drop when I saw an advertisements on television when they had yoga. Now it's like, you know, it's part of all kinds of medical prescriptions. It's become so mainstream. And in a lot of the ways, that's wonderful because yoga is for everyone. But then there's certain people who are ready for different kinds of um, transmission or of understanding. And, and it, it, it's like, you know, we might think of the caliber of student, the caliber of teacher. And I go through that at length in my, in my book, The Yogi's Roadmap, The Teacher-Student Relationship. And there's the yogi, the teacher who's in a, you know, in a, in a gym, Then there's the kind of yogi, the teacher who is simply by being in there, you know, who is able to like give you the deeper teachings, the metaphysical teachings. Then there's the ones who can help you, you know, just by sitting in their presence, they bring something to light in you that was overshadowed you know by insecurity or confusion or or you just weren't ready yet but they're they've embodied what it what it looks like what it feels like to be living by the heart in in service to the whole um so you know there's many different levels so I feel like it, it's just going to be on all levels and in all directions. It's becoming part of the grander diaspora. And that's really great. Um, you know, the higher level of the teachings, oftentimes the fewer students they are, are. And I remember my teacher Rama saying, you know, uh, and I think it's Khalil Gibran who writes about this, that oftentimes a prophet isn't recognized in their own community because they're just such a part of the day-to-day. So it might be a very small thing and we might have more um, kind of like more leverage out in the world community or showing up in different places and it's not really clear. It's not cut and dry. I think it's fantastic. You know, when I work with people who are studying with me, like doing a teacher training, maybe it's for themselves. I say, you know, you'd be surprised. Like there's always somebody who can benefit. And the way that we share may not be a formal classroom per se, but it might just be in an interaction, certainly with children, you know, in the way that we're connecting with them. So it's so much bigger than we think it is. And yoga isn't some human um, 
a creation. You know, yoga simply is, and even in the, you know, what it says is it's like the transmission. It came from other dimensions. These are cosmological truths that are able to articulate realities. It's, it's as much as it's something that people are cat- um, capitalizing on. Think of all the yogis whose names we don't even know, or the ones who we're trying to forget, right? Because they are of their humanity and they got so puffed up with the yoga. <clears throat> it's like all of that's a passing show. I think it's very interesting to see. I'm I'm very gratified that it's gone more grassroots in a lot of ways. And also, I, I don't know how it is today post-COVID, but I had, you know, several students like in the Bay Area where their entire gigs were working for these huge tech corporations. And that was their whole thing. They would go in there and just help these people to get grounded, to get out of their heads and you know, that's got to then somehow be filtered through the airwaves and all the apps and things they're producing that they're, they're connected with their humanity. So I don't really have a clear answer for that. I personally, because being a classical, you know, having been raised in the classical tradition, I really hope that the spirit of mentorship continues And there's so many ways that that can happen. Um, You know, I know for for us raising a son and not having family, like having blood family on this island, it's the aunties, it's the uncles, it's the music teachers, it's the, the, the canoe paddling coach that fosters that kind of relationship where... We're again, you know, I mean, this kind of turns back to that first question. It's like we take each other on and we care for each other. The relationship that you and I have, it's so transcended, um, so transcended a teacher-student relationship. We have so much love and respect for each other. You're closer than close. It's a beautiful thing. So if we, you know, were to switch out the word yoga for love and for showing up for each other and that we're part of this bigger family that, that you know, even though it's as the Buddha says, one eye is crying, like when you're in pain, I care about you. I'm carrying you with me. And I'm also caring like what's the beauty that is radiating beyond those those struggles, which are natural struggles and part of our growing from a, a little, little seed into a germ, into a flowering tree, um, that's really the spirit of yoga. And that's where the, the most meaningful thing for me is when people touch in base where they show up again. It's like, you know, I may not see you for a year or years or whatever, but there's that thread. And that feels so good, you know, that we, it's because so much of life is like, 
finding meaning making, like what's, what can I do that's meaningful and what brings meaning to my life? And then when we bring that to each other, this is where the yoga just, oh, it just becomes so full and so rich. And as Venkateshananda says, then the practice slips through your fingers, you know? Yeah, I'm going to get on the map because if I don't, my liver gets loaded, I get grumpy or my neck hurts or whatever, but like that's just almost like brushing your teeth. It, 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 it starts to diffuse all of those ideas and concepts. Yeah. Say more about the mentorship piece and about that, yes, we live, we acknowledge that the times are always changing but this way that we can uphold the traditional aspects of yoga. You know, well, I heard this great line from the Tao Te Ching the, the other day, which is, I mean, this is, we've all heard this part of it. When the student is ready, the, the teacher appears, but I hadn't heard this part of it. When the student is ready, the teacher disappears. And I was like, whoa, what does that mean? And a lot of ways, you know, like, <clears throat> first of all, it's a blessing to have a teacher. And I think I shared before when I was invited to teach at Wanderlust, and I was like, why do they want me to teach at Wanderlust? You know, I had no idea. I was like, okay, I'll go. And I went and looked at the rosters of teachers and everybody was like 20 years younger than me for 10 years or so. I was like, oh, wow, I'm the senior teacher. I was like 50, you know, but I looking at these other people and I and I remember being their age and them looking at me and like, oh, yeah, I guess I am the elder here. And pretty, no one was listing who they had studied with. So it was like this new trend of um I don't need a teacher. I'm going to figure it out on my own. But that's really hard. Like when you find the right teacher, they'll just, you know, it's like having a good counselor, you know, you don't need to worry about that. Don't worry about that. And you're like, and you can just be like, oh, I don't. I'm just going to trust you on that. I'm going to check that off my list. Relax, 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 right? Um, but relaxing doesn't mean passivity. It means engaging in ways that are more meaningful, that are actually constructive rather than fixating on the interferences. So finding that teacher, you know, I mean, you are lucky you were born into a spiritual community with a teacher who is really below the radar. And from what, from what I understand through different strands of, of people telling me their experience was high integrity. That's extremely rare. Okay. So you had that kind of ethos growing up. For me, you know, it was a long time of like, I found this teacher, found Baba Haridas, who was high integrity, and yet he was a monk. So that met me to a certain point, And he wasn't, he wasn't really like a householder, like I'm a householder. So then you know, he sent me to Patabi Joyce and Patabi Joyce told me like, I was so much more capable than I thought I could be and really taught me rigor and taught me discipline. 
but then would say things like don't go don't do any walking or swimming or bicycle riding because it stiff makes you stiff for your yoga practice and i was like okay but you know i like to dance and swim and all right so and then finally meeting rama who is a mother a householder a woman um somebody who had actually had a few marriages, the the shortest of being like 15 years. So it wasn't fly by night and seeing that aspect and like, how does this address my, my feminine nature? How, how am I a mother? How can I be part of the world? Um, so when I was reflecting on this, this um, wisdom from Lao Tzu is like, and then when the student is ready, the teacher disappears. What that meant to me was as long as the teacher is around, you better get your ass to class and maintain that relationship because they will die. It's guaranteed, as you mentioned. And what a gift. And then it's not even so, and, and like the relationship, you know, if it's really a loving relationship, and this doesn't mean that the teacher just tells you what you want to hear, it's going to be so much bigger than teacher-student relationship. You become what they call in Hawaii, ohana, extended family. You're going to like... You're going to know when there's a death in the family, when there's a birth, when there's an illness, when there's a success. It's like you're you're holding them in that loving relationship and that contact is so important. So while the teacher's here, you should not be disappearing. And you're there and you're supporting the teacher and the teacher is supporting you and that, my friends, is called love. <laughs> Not this like, oh, you've been so meaningful to me. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm always scratching my head. And, you know, about this, it's like you make the efforts to go somewhere and teach. And then people like your, your long student, they call themselves students, but they don't, they don't like engage with you. They don't show up, but then they want to have like private time to have a cup of tea. And it's like, Okay, I mean, sometimes logistics don't allow that, but it's really about showing up for each other. My friend Mimi Kwa, when her daughter has a dance recital, I want to be there. How wonderful that I get to be there and see that. I mean, that's, that's an amazing thing, you know, that we show up for each other. Yeah. That. <laughs> All of that. I mean, oh. it's not about even showing up for each other, but it's that sense of communion. When we come together, that drala, it's not even just ordinary magic, it's extraordinary magic. Because, wow, it's like, you know, think about it. You know, your, your long lost friend and you know they're coming to town. You're going to, you're going to, cross things off your schedule. You're going to make the trip to the airport. You're going to embrace them. You know, maybe in Hawaii, you put a lay around their neck and you, you, you know, or in India, you know, you adorn them with a shawl or something. And it's that celebration of that loving connection. I mean, what's better than that in life? 
be Nothing. alone. To be alone, <laughs> figuring it out on your own. Good luck with that. <laughs> yeah, that is so powerful. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. When the student is ready, the teacher disappears. And then honestly, when they disappear, you're like, I'm not ready. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. Any last, yes. Yes. Any last words? (laughs) Yeah. For now. (laughs) I shared... um, And I never found this in the sutra proper. So this is where, you know, I mean, I have all these books and all these things. And I, um, you know, I've really learned to touch my intuition to get in touch with it, where it's like, okay, I feel like this book has something and I'll pull it off the shelf. So I had to weave these strands together. First word, first sutra, ah, ta, sigh of relief. Like here I am right now and so much has happened before me and I'm not alone. I'm standing on the shoulders of my ancestors, both familial and this family in which everyone is invited, but not everyone accepts the invitation. And I am being lifted up by these teachings and I'm carrying them forward. Like I am part of this great legacy. Um, and then the word anatta, this isn't in the sutras, but it's clearly part of it. And we know the prefix an means without or un or non or not. Without that sense of standing into this great tradition, this lore of those who are following the strands of the heart, those who are really not just searching, but they're seeking and they're the mysticism of, 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 of seeing that divine, ordinary magic everywhere. Um, anatha means someone who doesn't, hasn't fostered that connection. So the invitation is always there. You know, sometimes we have to go like, it's like finding a mate or something, maybe not quite so serious, you know, um, but, you, you know, finding finding that person and then sticking with it and developing that relationship. And that doesn't mean that you don't even like find other eclectic strands of knowledge or points of views or other teachers. I mean, what a blessing to have a few teachers that you're really connected with. And they're probably not going to contradict each other. Uh, maybe maybe details, but it's same, same, different perspectives and points of view. So an anatta is somebody who's a misfortunate, who hasn't accepted the invitation to receive the heart-to-heart transmission. And somebody who really like takes you on and cares about you and invests in you. And there's that sense of reciprocity. So it's really a blessing. And as much as we talk about teacher-student, you know, we have this... um, this idea very much from like Victorian era. And even, you know, you can think of like the the preacher at the pulpit who's standing on a high pedestal 
who's then proselytizing, it's not about that. It's about relationship. And it's the conversations and the connection and, um, you know, doing the dishes, cooking a meal, helping each other out. It's very, very special. We're very fortunate to have it. To find somebody who we deem worthy of our time and attention and someone who feels the same way about us. What else could human beings want, as Rumi says, right? When grapes turn to wine, they are wanting some of this. And to really trust, to trust those people in our lives. And it's it's not about, for myself, you know, giving my power away because my teachers have never, you know, asked me to do that. But it's always, you know, kind of helping, you know, putting me back on center, (laughs) but there's some trust involved in that. And leaning into each other, right? Yeah. Leaning into each other and just saying, Hey, you got this. And I got your back. Hey, show up to class. Let's do this. (laughs) Great. Thank you so much, Bhavani. Thanks, Shanae. I'm uh, my heart is full. (laughs) thank you for listening i hope this conversation has inspired you to take these teachings on for yourself if you enjoyed this episode please tell a friend for more information about bhavani maki and her online and in-person teachings including the yoga sutra wisdom school online patanjali yoga sutra mentorship and her continuing classes and trainings please visit www.bhavanimaki.com That's B-H-A-V-A-N-I-M-A-K-I. You will find many resources, including sound bites of the Patanjali Yoga Sutra Samadhi Pada and Sadhana Pada for free, as well as a free yoga class. Thank you again. We hope you've enjoyed these conversations from the heart. Please join us as we continue to walk this revelatory path into deep personal inquiry through yoga as a path toward our unique, true spiritual awakening.